if I was yelling that from the top of a mountain. It's inside the recording studio, and I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing splendid, Jody. How are you? I'm recovering. Yeah, you've been on the mend. You've been under the weather quite a bit lately. I don't, know I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> no, I've had a lot you used of to never bizarre injury type things, of course. I think we mentioned the surgery a few weeks ago, and I'm doing very yep. well on that, which is great. However, last week I fell and hit a part of my body that I've hit before, and it makes you go, ow, and then you think, oh, that's not a funny bone. And nothing happened until a week later when my elbow suddenly swelled up to the size of a grapefruit and said, piss off, and started squirting all <laughs> kinds of icky goo. And this is not what we should be talking about on this podcast. Yeah, this is Sorry. Overshare, bro. Yes, it Overshare. is. You can watch the, the images on the website if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> They're not there. No. What are we talking no? about? We have done a fair bit of talking about through the history of the podcast here about workflow and techniques and things. This is something that I thought would be good to bring up again. We're going to talk about five tips and mention five tips for an effective workflow. So just five, no more, no less. Five. That's it. We're going to riff a little bit on each one. But Ooh. I do think they're important because it's easy to get distracted, I think. What? When you're Exactly. <laughs> We'll just jump right in, shall we? Do it. I think don't go ahead first, first one, though. The first one is work with gear that you know. Why would you want to do that? That's no fun, is it? Not for but, me, anyway. Yeah. The important part here is, of course, when you're worked with a client, you want to make sure that you're spending your time as effectively as possible. Almost yeah. like the title of this podcast, right? <laughs> so, working with stuff that you know that can get the job done, I think, is key. Right? Especially if you know it inside and out, right? That would be the ideal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you know a piece of gear, you're capable of coaxing out of it what it is that you want. Working with gear that you know is great. Of course, we do eventually get new gear and we have to learn how to do that, but that's not the best idea to do during a client session, for example. So work with gear that you know how it behaves and you'll be able to get there faster, as it were. I agree with that statement. Yeah. It's a lot easier to do things when you actually know the gear that you're working with. Yeah. It sounds dumb when you're saying it out loud, but it's so obvious. It is. It isn't that obvious. Otherwise, so. you wouldn't say it. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we've always said that. Know your gear. Know your gear. It was it's episode one. Episode one, indeed. And it's tempting to always want to try something new. I read something this week, actually. It was, somebody was talking about you know how to different. Read? Uh, yeah, I got nothing funny to say to that. So, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I'm just going to continue with the podcast. All, right. all joking aside, is, is with all the technology and the tools that we have now, it is very, very easy that we collect gear, we collect plugins, we buy it because we think it's, unless I have all the flavors in my tool chest, I'm not going to be able to produce quality work. The analogy that some person was bringing up here, and I believe it was a forum where somebody was asking, it's like, well, which console emulation should I get? I do this kind of work, and which one should I get? And of course, there's everybody has access to all of these different consoles now. I'm looking at somebody in front of me right now. Does <laughs> that actually? Uh, and I do too. But the analogy that this person said was, you take any of these sort of like top mixers, 
whether that's Chris Lord Algae or Bob Clear Mountain or Dave Pinsato. Yeah, anybody. Al Schmidt. Well, he's gone. They tended to stick with one console. It wouldn't be like, well, for this project, I'm going to go to this other different studio and because I want that sound or whatever. Let's say, for example, somebody like Chris Lord Algae, he's an SSL guy, like mm-hmm. a 4000E. I would venture to say that majority of his work that he's ever done has probably been on his console. Right? Chances are. So it's probably not going to be a scenario where – Hey, Chris, you know what? We'd like to have you mix this, but would you consider working on a Neve? You know, it's so while it's tempting to have all of these flavors in our arsenal, having something that we really know is imperative, I think. So that that thing is like been seduced by all the Black Friday deals and everything. And it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of of myself. GDS, man. GDS. Yup. Long story, a little bit shorter. Work with the gear that you know, and you'll be better off for it, working faster, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, our next little tip here, number two, work with gear that you need. Yeah. How do you determine that? Once you get to know the the gear that you have to the extent where you might have a favorite EQ or a favorite compressor or favorite reverb or whatever, you might start noticing that they can't deliver what it is that you might be looking for. Hmm. That's an opportunity then, right? We say, well, I don't have a piece of gear that does this really, really well, or whatever the task is. It's almost like you're answering that question by asking another question. (laughs) But the gear that you need will start to be apparent when you can't do tasks with the gear that you have. This kind of contradicts number one, dude. I don't think it does. Because you work with the gear that you know, and it exposes those holes that if you need to update a piece of gear, then you do that. get an additional piece of gear. Exactly. They go hand in hand, but I don't think they're mutually exclusive. In a session when you go in, and this goes really hand in hand with point one there, was to have a compressor that you know inside and out. Mm-hmm. Have the aforementioned EQ that you know inside and out. Mm-hmm. And have those possibly lined up in your session, right? So you're always working with these. You know how they're going to behave. I would go the same way with reverbs and delays. And th- those are your meat and potatoes type of things that you can get a lot of stuff done with. Right. On that note, what's your first go-to EQ that you like? That's changed over the years, actually. Okay, well, let's say currently. For what application? <laughs> See, I'm going to make this difficult. The main okay. reason why I ask that is because I've switched to going a more console-oriented mixing route. Right. Which means that I trust the EQ that comes on the selected console, whether it's a Focusrite, a Neve, an SSL, Helios. If there is something beyond the need of what comes on the console, there are Two EQs that jump to mind immediately. And the first is the Mog EQ4. And that's presumably for the airband? That is for the airband, not even presumably. I know you so well. Yes, you <laughs> It is a great EQ for the airband. It's also a great EQ on top of things, but generally the bulk of what I'm EQing is coming off the console. The second one that I will pull out when needed beyond the consoles that I use, 
is the Poltec. Mm-hmm. It just okay. has a classic flavor to it that if the console's not quite delivering it, the Poltec probably will. Do I have a plethora of other EQs that I can jump on? Yes, I do. Do I always jump on them? No. Some of them are there just for surgical purposes. If something is a real problem, then I will use something very surgical, which What do you use for that? If you need to do like uh, some surgical stuff, what do you tend to reach for? The isotope ozone EQs. Mm. Okay. They are very, very surgical. (laughs) All right. You don't use the logic EQ? No. Well, you mix in Luna now, so you I mix in yeah. Luna, so that doesn't help. Yeah. Okay. What about compressors? That's a whole different story Let, now, isn't well, it? Well, let's say that you're not <laughs> using the the console compressor, if there is one. There is. On some of them, I do have them, and I will use them. Right. But if you're going off the board, as it were. Off the board. Mm. And I do do that a fair amount, especially when bussing things and certain ways that I work that seem to be PhD style mixing, crazy enough. The compressors that I will tend to go with are the LA-2 and the 1176. And the 1176 to me is much more of a limiter than it is a compressor. But it does amazing things. And I have multiple variations of each. Now, beyond that, I've just found another new compressor that I really, really believe that the next major projects that I'm working on will be incorporated with the 175B, which is yeah. like the granddaddy yeah, or the parent right. to the 1176. Yeah. So, yeah, for drums, that just gets a really amazing vibe. And that became my brand new go-to for drums, just like that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you played me that, and I have to say that that did sound really, really good, especially right? on the drum bus or possibly like room mics and stuff. It, yeah. it gave that really, really big sound. Mm-hmm. To recap, it's important there for the question, I think, that you answered where you've, you've switched to more of a console style of mixing yeah. process now, and, and I have as well. So for the last little bit, I've been using the 4000E, mm-hmm. really liking that. If the SSL compressor doesn't give me what I want, I would go the same route as you. I would have like an LA-2A style compressor mm-hmm. and an 1176. Both of which you've got with, through Slate, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. With those type of flavors, I feel like I can get what I want out of the track, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going for something else, something esoteric, that's a different story, but that's my bread and butter. And chances are I can get what I want with just those because I know them quite well now, right. as you do as well. That's part number two, work with gear that you need. But when it comes to reverbs and things, I suppose we should expand a little bit on that as well. Your spatial um, effects, you mean? My spatial effects, delays and reverbs. Yes. What are you using? I tend to go with another Slate thing, the Verb Suite Classics Mm -hmm. that I go with. And a lot of times I will have a couple loaded up in my mix template. Okay. And it will be usually a 480 thing or a Bricosti, one of those two. One would be more of an ambience type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Very short, just to give a little bit of space and... The other one would be more of a 
a room, so like a little bit of a bigger thing. A third one that I tend to have as well is tends to be for more for vocal, which would be either like a plate or a hall. Mm -hmm. But but they're all coming from a Brucosti or the 480. You sound so snooty classes. saying that. <laughs> I don't, I know. Yeah, I get lonely up here on my pedestal. <laughs> uh, nice. What about delays for you? Being that Luna doesn't really have many built in, the primary one that I tend to use is the precision delay or precision mod delay, I think it's called. However, the recent update that I've done has given me the Korg DD D3000, something of that nature. I also have the H3000 delay from Eventide. Mm. So it's I'm not at a loss for delays, but the one thing that I do miss from Logic, and I wish that it was third-party compatible, delay designer. Yeah. That's an amazing delay. There's no it question is. about it. I never dug into that one for whatever reason. Mm. It's not that it's a bad delay. It's an amazing delay. But I had alternatives, yeah. I, I think. I have a couple that I go to, but it, they generally do the same thing. I tend to EQ my delay returns and my reverb returns. So it, it's not the end of the world. I tend to go with the slate thing there as well. Where I got the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, in terms of reverbs, I've got a plethora of those. And it ranges from having the Lexicon stuff, the Bercasti stuff, along with the Motown rooms now that I have, Capital Studios I have now. I've got all kinds of plates. I've got non-IR styles. I've got non-convolution styles. I've got a plethora of reverbs. And I don't tend to keep them in any kind of template and any of those effects ready to go. I track as tracking, and then I export. But these are additional things that are not part of the effective work. Yeah, because so now, now you're going else. a little bit left field here. With <laughs> yeah. our, well, I have this, and I have this. So put you up against it here. So if you had to choose two reverbs for mixing duty, mm. which ones do you pull out first for all-purpose type of stuff? The Lexicon and... I'm going to go with Capital. Capital yeah. Rooms. Yeah. That's found itself into your workflow already. You'd like it that much? I like the concept of it. I have not used it a lot, but I like the concept. You're asking me the two that I would go with. I'm going to go with yeah. the digital and I'm going to go with a room. All right. Fair enough. There. All right. There you said it. Yeah. With that being said, when do you actually add new gear into the mix? When they're added to the slate bundle. No. <laughs> no. Um, in all fairness, that, that's a joke if that didn't come across right. Um, I'm laughing. You're laughing. It would be one of two things. For me, it would be right now if I saw something that would be just like, oh, that's just insanely cool. That I think sounds really, really good. At this point, I have to say that for me, it's less likely that I will because I have so many different delays and everything that comes with all these bundles that I'm not at a loss for something. If I felt like I was, like let's say, oh, I, I would like to have a really nice tape delay or something, and I didn't have that, that would be a time when I would update. Aha, good but on I, you. 
Yeah, but it's the same with like consoles and compressors and everything, right? It's so easy to get carried away by having every friggin' flavor in the crayon box GDS. that we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if I just had that extra new delay, I could finally release that album, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, What's next on the list here? Have things connected and ready to go. You mean when so, you've got a client coming in for a session, you should be prepared? Yes. Rather than wasting their time by doing shit while they're standing there waiting? I would even go so far as saying that even if it's not for a client, if you're doing stuff for yourself, mm. if you're working on your own music, these are good ideas to follow. Okay. Because you want to strike when the creativity bug hits you. Having to wire stuff up and loading your plugins and doing this and that it distracts you. So I like the idea of having everything ready to go, whether it's just having the instruments that you want in your writing template, whatever it is, but have it ready to go and sit down and do your thing. Now, if you're tracking, of course, like you mentioned, like client or something, make sure that you got everything wired up so that they don't come over and, okay, just hang on, let me just get the mics and we're going to get set up here and all this. <laughs> just have everything kind of ready to go so that you know this is on input so-and-so and this is on input three or whatever. Right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's a really, really important one. Yeah, you mention it quite a bit. The next thing that we have here, though, is something that both you and I do, and maybe you can expand on this, is templates come in really handy for this. Yes. Do and you have different writing templates that no. you tend to go to? No? I do not. Uh uh. But you used to, yeah? Yeah, I used to spend way too much time with that shit. <laughs> we all used to spend too much time on it, but that's not the point. <laughs> no, it, is. it is the point now, as I don't. Unless I am doing a project that requires it, and generally the first session that I put together for that project will determine what the rest of the template will be. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, because then you create a template from that. For the per project so, thing. It's right. not like I'm trying to throw the kitchen sink into a template anymore. It's just not going to happen. No. It's not like Junkie XL or John Swihart or Danny Lux or any of these big composer guys. They have gigantic orchestral templates. And I get it because that's their work mode and that's what they're working in. They have to have that. Mm. I'm yeah. not in that quite that deep where I need that. And I can still choose out whatever instrument I want and stick it in there. And like I said, when the project changes, I'm doing it on a per project basis. The project will determine what the template will be for the writing when I'm in writing. So do you, so you start with a blank slate each time? Yes, now? I do. Hmm. I do. Interesting. I have to think out what is it that I need and then if it's the full project, then I think about that first one and then the rest of them network off of that first project right. session. Yeah. But you do have mixing templates. I do. Those I yeah. do have. And right. they are fairly standard in that yeah. because I'm working like a console, they're set up like a console with a certain number of tracks already predetermined, not pre-set up for EQs and compression. I haven't gone right. that nutty yet. Right. And in that regard, I set it up as a console. So I set up a, a drum section. I set up a guitar section, a bass section, a vocal section, a synth section. And if it comes in that I'm working on something with orchestral parts, I will expand upon that and create a separate template just for an orchestral style thing that gets added yeah. in. 
All with the busing and routing of the super complex mind of how I do it. Right. But also, mixes can get elaborate today. And never mind the routing that you have. But to have a mix template set up so that you have every track in order, I'm assuming the same each time, right? You probably start, but like you have your your drum buses over here and you got your drums and then you got your whatever, might be percussion, but but you have the layout of your session yes. the same each time. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And color coded so, as best as possible. It's a little more difficult yeah. inside Luna, but yes. I'm with you there too, because it, it makes things so much easier. It seems yeah. like a superfluous thing, but when you're always working and you know that, okay, here are my drums, here are my this, here are my that. Again, going back to the console thing, that guys that sit down with the console, they have their faders laid out the same way each time they start a new mix because it's one of familiarity. Yep. So it's no different when we're in the box, I don't think, and I think that's a really well, important one to follow. It can be different. It's probably harder if you make it different every time, which is why it's easier to have a template that is the same everywhere you go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And with that, we'll take a moment for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. What is our fourth tip going on in this podcast? Knowing your key commands. Mm. This is something that I know I have talked about before, but when I started working with Logic version 4.6, actually. <laughs> back so in the back, dark ages. <laughs> but, but I had the same mentality as I used to with, as we used to have our auto load, right? We want to make sure we could imagine every situation possible coming up in our project. And I worked a lot on mapping my key commands to my keyboard the way I imagined it was going to work forever and I was going to be a master at this. That Good was on huge, you. <laughs> well, no. That was a huge waste of time, actually. I agree. Because, again, you sit and tweak an imagined workflow. Mm -hmm. Not the one they actually do. The route that I would tell anybody today when they're learning their DAW is learn the key commands as you go along. Tasks that you perform regularly, memorize those first. Are you then, talking about the actual key commands that come from the manufacturer or creating your own? Either or. I mean, in certain DAWs, you're locked to what comes from the manufacturer, like from Pro Tools, for example. They're factory set. Mm -hmm. If you're in Logic, you can assign what you to want. Be, right. Choose your own so adventure. And there are a lot of functionality in Logic that isn't assigned to a key command or is only available through a key command. At this point, I won't change them. I have certain things that, that I still feel lost at if it changes, but I learn them as I go along now. There are cases where I have to actually go look at what, how the heck did I do this? But that's generally... <laughs> What's the key command for something? Like it could be like blocking empty or whatever. Uh, that doesn't come up in every thing, right? Yeah. I only but, have two um, that I change away from the original key commands in Logic. You can't change them in Luna, but in Logic, the ones that I work with when I'm tracking and doing those things, there's only two that I really change. And which ones are they? The record button and delete the last recording and go back to last record position. Right. That makes me because you do that again fast. in the guess. Yeah, 
But it, it is a temptation of trying to memorize everything. Also, the, the flip side of that, of not memorizing them at all, you're just not going to get fast enough to work because you're going to be mousing around all the time. Mm. So memorize the key commands as you go along and expand from there. The more you do something, it, you just start doing it. You the know, easier um, it'll get, especially yeah. if you're taking it one piece at a time. Absolutely. And it just becomes muscle memory. So What's our fifth that, and final one, man? This is also a little bit of a psychological thing. I'm a big believer in it. It's funny for me to say this. I'm looking at my desk right now and it's a freaking <laughs> mess because I've been working all day. But it's to uh, declutter your workspace. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of a mindset thing. Gets you sort of like focused and organized. Right. And sort of free from distractions. When you're wrapping up a session, get rid of the extraneous coffee cups or whatever, paper clutter, all this kind of shit that gets put everywhere, put cables away, all this kind of stuff. Well, so that sounds like I, the end of an effective workflow. <laughs> well, but at the end of a day, right, sure. you do it. I am a big believer in that because it, I think it just helps you stay focused. The same thing goes for whether that's your, your computer, right? Keep your files organized and everything. As you have, we've talked about file management in the past, mm -hmm. you know, like keeping organization and folders and sample drives and project drives and everything. And it comes down to naming tracks, everything like that. It, you're just better off for it for having a well-organized workspace, both physically and virtually, as it were, in your system. Uncluttered workspace, keeping yeah. things organized. Free from distractions. Yeah. That'll help your mindset. And that's important when you're working with clients or you're working with yourself, one or the other. Yeah, it's just a good habit all around, I think. You know, keeps oh, yeah. you focused on the task at hand. And that is five tips for an effective workflow. Well done, you. Let's move on well to our Friday Fives. What do you got for this week? Today, I have another piece of software that I haven't tried, but it looks interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And it's from Newfangled Audio, and it's a plugin called Invigorate. Invigorate is a bus compressor or master Ooh. bus compressor that has a little bit of a more of a, uh, almost like an XY axis with different flavors of compression and EQ and push and pull. So. A lot of stuff going on underneath the hood, I am sure, because it's from Newfangled Audio. But it was kind of like an interesting take, I think, on um, final sort of bus processing going on, which I think can be a really, really cool thing if you have to work fast, you have to deliver tracks, and you got to get something that's going to put the final sheen on it as you're delivering them. So it looked interesting to me, an invigorate from Newfangled Audio. What do you got? I'm going with a reverb. Another spatial yeah. effects today. Woohoo. This is a new reverb called Exoverb by Dear Reality. It's almost like a love letter to reverb, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it is a three-dimensional reverb, and it comes with a slightly different interface that is a triangle, and it has multiple ways to get you to sound like you're in three-dimensional space, which if you're mixing 
in Dolby Atmos or Sony 360RA, this might become pretty important. Hmm. And I'm going to go with the Exoverb by Dear Reality of the Sennheiser Group for this week. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, we'll get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this awesome podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word workflow, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, Jody. Bye.